Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash Sirius XM. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On! Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a cult takes over an Oregon town, then resorts to violence to keep their community, which is built on love. We're looking back at the Netflix documentary series, Wild Wild Country. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, what is coming up on next episode of Crime Writers On? Well, I'll let you know that this is our final classic rewind for the summer. Wow. So we're back on the two episode, two brand new episodes a week. Wow. And on Monday, we're going to be talking about telemarketers. It's a new series uh, from HBO Max. That's right. And then, or I guess it's just Max. Max. Or it could be from HBO. I don't know. Yeah. Warner Brothers doesn't it's talk to me confusing. directly. And then we're talking about the new podcast series from iHeart called the Girlfriends. Lots of people are talking about that one. I'm looking forward to talking about it, too. So, again, what are we going to hear in this final CWO Classic Rewind of the summer? All right, we're going back to March 28th, 2018 for our review of Wild Wild Country. Can't believe that was five years ago. Five years! You met your true crime hero. Uh, Sheila. Yeah. I mean, she tried to poison some people, but other than that, she's pretty cool. Yeah, other than that. Yeah, I mean, Just a little thing. Small, small infractions. Tough titties. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to that, shall we? Well, moving on. Netflix is out with Wild Wild Country, a documentary about the times, town, and troubles created by a group of Rajneeshi followers who flocked to Oregon in the early 1980s. I'm here in one of the largest ranches in the Northwest. Today, it's Rajneesh Purim, because a prominent Indian guru and his followers bought it. Our vision was to create a community based on compassion and sharing. Bhagwan's agenda was simply to raise the consciousness of humanity. That was his goal. America was land of promise. It was my conviction. We will have no problems. I don't think America has a place for these people. The followers of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh created their own city with airport founded on peace and free love. But their efforts to protect their community from locals and the government eventually turned violent 
Sort of. In talking about Wild Wild Country, we're going to be discussing some spoilers. So if you'd rather hear our review without the discussion, just look at the show notes for the timestamp to which you can skip to get our thumbs up or thumbs down on Wild Wild Country. And if you want to hear us talk about it because you've watched it, here we go. All right. Sort of? I just want to couch it a little bit because a big thing has come up. People are watching this documentary like the uh, Rajneeshis. Are they a violent, scary cult or are they a bunch of free loving, yoga loving weirdos who like to get naked and just wanted to make a city out of a ranch in Oregon? And also firebombed uh, city officials, try to poison 700 people. After they were attacked. Yeah. Kevin, hold on. Laura, thoughts. Oh, oh, that makes it fine. Thoughts, Laura? Thoughts. I'm not defending it. You are. So I'm a little conflicted on this because, you know, I'm watching this. And there seems to be, even in the end, like goodness in the people that were involved and wanting to help others and wanting like the one woman who was, you know, the the leader, the general. Now she's got like her own. She Yeah, she's got her own little commune for old people with dementia. So it's hard to say. I feel like I don't really have the full story, even after six hours of this, to really make a determination on that. Right. So something happens, Kevin, and I know that I'm breaking format. But usually we start this conversation with like, let's talk about the structure. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the characters. I got a note today because, you know, Toby and Laura send their notes Mm -hmm. and then I use that to sort of, you know, inform what we're going to be talking about. Toby sent me a note today that blew my goddamn mind. Yeah. Toby, (laughs) I think that I know, you know which note it is. Do you want to just go ahead and, and tell everyone what I'm talking about? So back in like 1992, maybe my girlfriend at the time, now my wife went to uh, Mexico Mm -hmm. and we ended up staying at a place called the Osho Oasis, Mm. which was in uh, Tulum, (laughs) this little sleepy town with uh, Mayan ruins that are right on the ocean. It's really Mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. Like there was a meditation place and there's definitely (laughs) like some like Orgies. Like balding guys with ponytails <laughs> and stuff like that, walking around, going to meditate. Uh, but there's also like just travelers and tourists uh, such as ourselves. While I was watching this, I've read about the stuff that went on in Oregon, but I hadn't realized that he changed his name to Osho. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I was like, oh, my God, was this a Rajneeshi place? And <laughs> what it turns out is that kind of in that the woman who started it had gone to uh, Pune the Pune ashram after um, Rajneesh had, had uh, the Bhagwan had gone back to, had been sort of forced back to India. And then when he died, she left her husband, she says in her little write up and uh, wanted to have a place that kind of recreated the vibe of mm. the ashram. So she, she like opened this thing and it was like these little cabanas. I mean, they're not even really cabanas. They're like these huts on the beach with like mm. thatched roofs hanging beds so that yep. lizards couldn't get in them and stuff. So it was a really, it was, it was a cool and very beautiful place. And I did not know at the time the little line you could draw to yep. the food poisoners of Oregon. <laughs> right. Well, there's the thing, Toby, I know that you knew about this story. I feel like an idiot because watching this whole documentary, we see footage from Oprah. Mm-hmm. We see footage from you know, the world here. news tonight. Yep. Every major news program like really covered this, you know, this um, quote unquote invasion of this quote unquote cult, which there are reasons why I'm putting them in quotes. We'll talk about, but like this was a huge news story in America. 
that I know I was only a little kid when it happened, but like I've never heard. This is not. It's like been Joe's it's been time. forgotten and underreported in the in the years since. Yeah. Kevin, what did you think when you started hearing the details of the scope, the scale, the fact I, I that knew they some literally? Of the, I knew some of the, you know, the plot lines. Mm-hmm. I remember the the salad bar poisoning. I didn't remember a lot of, of the rest of it. Uh, you know, they built an entire city with an airport no, in like three crazy. years. I did not know that. I tell you, there's there's a lot of like really interesting, compelling stuff in this, and maybe we'll talk about this later. But I think it really just skimmed over a lot of important questions, yes. which left yes. me like, how do they finance all this, and what exactly yes. are their beliefs? Right. And yep. really, you're just going to let Sheila say they weren't violent when she, you know, plotted the murder of Bogwan's doctor and they had a lab and created biological weapons listen don't roll your eyes rebecca that oh i'm not saying she wasn't violent i'm just saying she's also kind of badass and i found myself yes. because of the lack of that all right let's just let's take a, i feel like we're just getting into a discussion without any context See, well that's kind of like the series that <laughs> we just watched there, isn't it so let me take up like, like a big step back right all right we are thrown into a story and when and dare i say it is a sex cult. We were thrust into a story. <laughs> and just given yes. a tremendous amount of information from, by the way, the principal players in the story. You have the main, like, it's like having David Miscavige talk about the Scientologist. You have Sheila, who was like the first lieutenant of this alleged cult, giving like her first person narrative. And she's not mm-hmm. disputing any of the facts of what happened. And then yeah. you have the actual townspeople who were like delightful, but also kind of xenophobic, like telling their account of what happened. Mm-hmm. You've all oh, yeah, they're the, the weird ones, Rebecca. No, but you have all the principles, right? <laughs> yeah. So all the elements are there. You're like, holy shit, we have the U.S. attorney. We have all the Oregon people. We have the state's attorneys. We have like the actual cult people. I still can't figure out like what's the yeah. harm? Like what was this cult doing that would made it a cult? Laura, you, you kind of yeah. sound like you agree with me. Yeah, I mean, that was what I, I kept waiting. And I'm like, did I miss something? And I'm like, no, I was paying attention. I, I guess I, I, you know, in the beginning, you know, we're watching it and it seems it seems very idyllic. They just wanted to go. They, they were like happy hippies. They, they just want to go out and live in the countryside and have sex with everybody and, you know, live in harmony. I'm like, huh, I guess I just didn't really see what the issue was. And, and it seemed more like the locals were like, Something fun is going on out there. <laughs> like, you know, like, whoa, some weird, weird stuff's happening. Like they're driving through town in their Rolls Royce. And and I'm like, so it's it's weird. It's it's definitely, you know, there's what, 50 people living in this town and they're all like farmers and ranchers with their lassos and everything. So I think that this this documentary left out some key parts as to why these issues started. And I don't understand why. I mean, you just have to go on Wikipedia and pull it up. And it's like right there at the top that it was is it related to trying to skirt around local zoning ordinances. Right, right. But what do they believe? I didn't really know what they believed. I didn't know. I'm like, OK, so this guy just like came here from India. Like, who who is he? <laughs> like, why are they following him from? <laughs> and, and are they doing that thing where they're alienating people from their families? Are they doing that thing yeah. that cults do where like... Like people are scared to leave. It didn't seem like anyone was well. From what we are like presented, yes. all we know is what we were presented, right? right? And okay. what's your impression of just okay? So we we got a really interesting question on our Facebook mm-hmm. group from Katie, who I happen to know from when I was a kid, who says like, "What is the harm?" Basically, as I'm paraphrasing, "What's the harm 
uh, about like wanting to live in a commune with people who think like you, where does that turn into a cult? Because I don't think we're shown the stuff that makes this like a quote cult. Because what we know about cults is yeah. they isolate you from your family and friends. Right. They take everything that you own. Right. Like, and and then you get into a point so where check like, check. But how are they isolating from your family? And it seems like people could come and go as they please. Uh, they could, but yeah. they are encouraged to leave home and come live in Oregon with the and only Bogwan. Wear, and only wear red. And only wear red. Okay, you starting to like see <laughs> no, the, I, I still not. the folly still of not. your logic? But they've, they've got ashrams all over the world. Right. You know, it, mm-hmm. like that was, that was the big city, but they show that map where there's ashrams. I'm sorry, what was the question? Thoughts, <laughs> thoughts about Rajneeshis. Like when you, when you compare them to cults that we consider like dangerous cults like Jonestown, when you compare them to the Scientologists, when you compare them to cults that we like objectively know, I'm sorry, you know, you don't believe the word objective is being correctly used here, Kevin, but like the cults we know are like legit dangerous where people are harmed, people die. Not talking about the actual acts that Sheila Mayer and I mean have instigated. <laughs> yeah, um, let's just... Not look at those. The, the culty scariness. Don't you feel like this documentary like didn't make a case for for that? No, it definitely did. I think. I mean, really? I my my feeling is uh, there's a few things, but one of them is how weaponized they were. Every like film has got guys with automatic weapons, so that would give me pause. I, I think it's a little more complicated. I mean, they kind of hint at it a little bit. When they talk about like the original ashram in in Pune, India, which still exists, which you can still go to still for exists. two thousand dollars a month, stay. Yeah, <laughs> Laura and I were like tripadvisoring it today. <laughs> I looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> crime writers on. <laughs> but it sounds like, and they just kind of hit at this a little bit. But it sounds like it's a place where things were going on, like and and more Western things. Uh, like some of the the therapies that were were being come up, like um, I think they they talk about the human potential movement, but also like gestalt therapy and things like that. And so it wasn't just that everybody; it wasn't like David Koresh or or, or Jim Jones, where everybody was kind of buying into this one religious line, but that he was he had sort of created a place where people could come and sort of indulge in these sort of radical ways of thinking about the way you are mm-hmm. as a person. It, it sounded a lot like Esalen, which is a place in uh, California that during like, I guess the late sixties and then into the seventies was sort of where radical therapeutic type things were sort of tried out and, and talked about. And the people lived in this very new agey way to the point where I did a little research and the guy who had founded Esalen actually went over to uh the ashram in uh, Pune to to check it out because he thought it'd be a very strong spiritual experience. And he left because he felt like some of the stuff that was going on there was too violent, hmm. which I think is what they, they kind of show in the- In the movie, in, in the, the movie? The movie. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. My thought was that that wasn't so much something that the Bhagwan was promoting, more that he kind of let that happen. And that was sort of, at least some of the therapies- were very sort of confrontational, you know, and, yeah. it, and it was like sort of being very raw and sometimes physical to a degree. And he felt like that, like at least some group of these people had gone too far in mm. that direction. Kevin. So, Rebecca, let me ask you a question. Who bombed the Hotel Rajneesh? Uh, some of the or- disgruntled Oregon people. No, it was an Islamic militant group and people were arrested and went to jail. Yeah. But... Watching this thing, yep. 
what are you left to believe? That it's some Oregonians, disgruntled Oregonians. And then that caused what? Them to arm themselves. To militarize, right? Right, right. So I think that that is a huge omission. Yeah. They certainly weren't arming against a a possible retaliation from Muslim extremists. Right. They were looking at the U.S. government and the other people in Well, I think it's, I think it was a a big, uh, that was pretty misleading. Okay. So before we get to that story Mm -hmm. point, which I really want to talk about, Kevin, there was more archive footage in this than in like anything else oh, yeah. I've ever watched from the period. There were 300 hours of video. Why were video. they filming everything they did all the time? They were home movies. Yeah. Um, but it but also they also sound- had like professional camera people there. Yeah. Well, that yeah. Was, that's part <laughs> of, and uh, Toby, I think, is more of the the expert on w- what this uh, cult was up to. But They thought they, they were changing did- the world and they wanted to document it. I mean, that's yes. how it felt to me. Yes. Right. And every night they would watch videos of the Bhagwan. Mm-hmm. talking about whatever. So, yeah, they were definitely documenting a lot of what was going on. They certainly didn't feel like they were ashamed of anything. It wasn't a closed compound because you see the the local TV people hanging out there oh, all the time. Now, yeah. You know, they had a press person and whatnot. So, so, yeah, they just have this really great treasure trove. You know, it's like almost impossible not to make a, a documentary when you can see every single historical point playing out in real time. Right. Now, Laura, every time they said something in this show, they then showed video of it. Like, literally. Mm-hmm. Like, every time. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And this is like a group of, like, thousands of just regular people, mostly Western people. Uh, who, we never really got a sense of how big. Well, we do know that they went to this place in Oregon, this uh-huh. uh, the muddy... Big muddy ranch. Big muddy ranch that was like, uh, you know, 100 square miles. And literally in under three years, and we see video of it, like people built hundreds of housing units. They built an airport, like a literal airport that jets could land on, not like a podunk New Hampshire airport, but like a literal airport. And uh, that that huge hall that held 10,000 people in like a short period of time. It was incredible. Like mm-hmm. the, the footage of them doing it, like they showed them trans- the farmlands and they the land reclamation was amazing. They land. And I want to know more about how did you pull that off? Yeah. How did you have contractors and... And architects. Well, but the architects were, I mean, a lot of the people who were sort of the brains behind it were Rajneeshis. Right. It was Rajneeshi architects and it was Rajneeshi lawyers and it was... You know, they had the people within the the movement. You know, we you know how I. Have- I love our listeners. I don't know how many of them right now would be able to step up and say, "Yes, I can excavate this entire mountain and build you a, a lake." Listen, these were. I mean, I, you know how I talk about sometimes, and I have this thing about like disgruntled boomers, or mm-hmm. like selfish boomers, narcissistic boomers. Mm-hmm. These are the people. These are like the boomers. These were all like those people who like the the lawyer guy who's like the main like pro Rajneeshi voice in the thing who's still like super sentimental about it is exactly what we're talking about. He put all of his lawyerly skills. He had been like a high powered partner in like a high powered law firm. Mm-hmm. He gave it all up and put all of his lawyerly skills to work with beads around his neck toward fighting the man on behalf of this cult and he was just a lawyer and like but they had like thousands of people it was really incredible Mm -hmm. we have to talk about Sheila because she is sort of the main character of this whole thing Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask the question I'm just going to say it and then I'll let you guys give your own thoughts it's very difficult for me even though the documentary lays out from the very beginning that Sheila is like the Goebbels of this enterprise like she's like the lieutenant who like mm-hmm. does all the bad things orders all the things it's very difficult for me to not like her and it's very difficult for me to not admire her in some way I find her incredibly compelling really powerful really interesting 
the most attached in some ways of any of these people talking in the thing, like objectively about what's happening. I kind of love Sheila and I feel bad about it. Laura, your thoughts on Sheila? I go back and forth on her. You know, she's definitely feisty, but she was also feisty slash confrontational whenever something was going on. Instead of it seemed like trying to work with the local government and the people in the area where they moved, it's like she was always got her, you know, hackles up ready to fight them. It made me wonder why she was coming into it from that angle. But, you know, the fact that she went through everything she did and then basically got sold down the river and she's the one who ended up doing jail time. But she bounced back. She seems to be like she's like Teflon woman. Like she just it doesn't all this stuff happens and it doesn't seem to face her. It was just fascinating. And, um, you know, fascinating to see the women that were following her around and that were like, I can't remember what she called them, like her little group of women, some of them who fled with her when she went to the island off the coast of Germany. It was it was very interesting. I think the thing that turned me about her was in the end when one of the police investigators was talking about interviewing her and how forthcoming she was, but also that she just seemed to lack normal empathy Mm. for others and had no sort of regrets or anything about, you know, any harm that had come to people. And that part, you know, kind of went against everything that the Rajneeshi was supposed to be about in terms of like loving everybody and being all happy and, you know, kind of being this utopian society um, seemed kind of odd to me. Laura, does that jive with the old woman who is helping senior citizens in hospice that we see? No. And it, that's the thing. It's like she's she's really an enigma, um, yeah, you know. And when you, you know when you see her, you know, in the end, and you see what she's doing now, and she doesn't want these these old people with dementia and schizophrenia to be forgotten or left out or mistreated, and she's she's got like her own little commune going on. So you know, I don't know if that was the police officer saying that about her lacking empathy was just his way to justify what they were doing, but um, she's she's a very out of all the characters, she's the one I just could not figure out. What do you think, Toby? What are your thoughts about Sheila? I kind of agree with Laura that the the thing that stuck out to me about most about when people talked about her was the thing about lacking empathy. And, you know, when you hear her talk about the days in Oregon, there is no point at which she seems to be able to put herself in the position of the people that oppose her and doesn't seem to have any consideration for the fact that in this tiny little town of Antelope, suddenly having hundreds and hundreds of hippies, like having sex all over the place and dressed up in weird clothes and, and all this stuff would be disorienting at the least. You know, I think part of the thing with the documentary is that you definitely like, she's your access point to the community Like if you'd had a different access point to the community and it was more about sort of the day-to-day life of like normal people there, I think it would have been a very different program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for her, it seemed like her one thing was to establish and then defend the community. Well, one of the things that's most interesting to me about Wild Wild Country is that we're introduced to all these like adorable town folk, right? You have the guy, the rancher, who just so happens to be the son Of the guy who invented Nike sneakers, the billionaire. (laughs) Right. Uh, You have the adorable ranch-owning couple sitting on a leather couch together. You have that other town's guy. The goofy mayor? The guy who looks like Ernie from Sesame Street, but with the overalls on. Yeah, the mustache. 
Yeah, and and so you're getting all of these like two ways. You have the the former mayor, the woman who was mayor when all this happened, and you're getting all of these um, conversations with them. And initially in the documentary, you think like, yeah, like they were just living here. It's mostly a retirement community. And then the this group of like thousands of people like move in next door, literally next door. And they start doing all this stuff with land that's polluting their ranches and like changing their basic quiet lifestyle. All of a sudden there's cars going through town. There are all these people. And they have this sort of like NIMBY reaction. I think the documentary is, is at its most interesting when the same people that we initially come to sympathize with and empathize with, like what did this happen in our town, get a little bit xenophobic and we see tons of archive tape that have straight up xenophobic language where people are on the, the daily news programs going like these people and their weird beliefs and their weird clothes coming into our town. And then we see in Oregon you know, they have a plan. Their plan is to bring a lot of people in, register them to vote, to be able to change the opinion and, and, the, and the sort of government where they want to be. Want to take control of the Which government. is, yeah. by the way, I'm sorry, that's their democratic right. The same way it is when there's a college in a town and all the students come in and they want to vote when they live on campus. And they do voter suppression stuff against the Rajneeshis. And they do all this like weird xenophobic outsider stuff. Like, that's the point for me where, you know, despite what happens later with the poisoning and all that stuff, like, I kind of come to understand where the rebellion comes into play because they really Wait, are who's just... who's rebellion? The Rajneeshi rebellion. Because don't you think that they're weaponizing themselves and, the, and all that stuff is about them saying, like, screw you guys, we just wanted to come here and do this, and you literally, like, waged war well, I, against us with well, democracy? I think Toby just said it. You know, it's like... You uh, you live to protect the hive, right? And but that's what so they, they ha- felt threatened. But so weren't the townspeople the same exact way? They felt threatened. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying that yeah. that like it would be not weird to have like a million people move into your tiny town and take over the cafe and buy all the land and whatever. But mm-hmm. like the words they used at the time, not the present day people telling the story now. When you see those same people, well, their language is different because they're relaxed because they won. Yeah, their they language feel is the also same different sense of because anxiety. of what you can say at the time. And it comes off as really kind of like racist, homophobic, xenophobic, the same, all that same kind of language. Phobic. That's how it sounds. Toby, this reminds me actually of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it's like one of these allegories for... Communism. Uh, communism. Everyone's wearing red. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the the fear that our way of life is being taken over by... Some other, yeah. I, I I think that I think that's a good point, and and I think that's that's something that Sheila kind of diagnosed and then sort of taunted them with. In fairness to the people that are coming across as as racist, and and they are. I mean, it, they picked a bad place to try to go set up a commune out in like rural, remote Oregon, where I mean, honestly. You've got a bunch of old retirees who have a very limited window of experience in terms of like what their world has been. So do I think it's right? No. But in fairness to them, I can see how this was overwhelming and scary when you're in this little tiny town and all of a sudden here comes the Rolls Royces and all these people. And it's so far out of the realm from anything that they've ever experienced because it doesn't seem like there was a lot going on there. 
you know, I can, I can understand that too. And I, you know, one of the things that I found frustrating about this whole thing was that it made me feel some sympathy for people who are basically have bigoted attitudes, which I do not, (laughs) was, was not a good feeling. Right. But I think what is the most objectionable thing about that whole bit is like, you can, you can see where the townspeople would get upset about the people coming and then kind of, you know, stacking the town council and, and doing all this stuff. But what I think the trouble comes is when the state basically picks a side mm. in that dispute, like law be damned. Yep. And it's just like, we're going to protect quote unquote, Oregon. We're not going to allow any new voters freaks. to register today. Right. That was upsetting. Yeah. And it's just, regardless of what you think about the Rajneeshis themselves, and I've got kind of mixed feelings, the way that was all handled by the government strikes me as a bullshit, but B also sort of a dangerous precedent. You know, it's, it's basically repressing a minority religion that people find weird. Right. And also a minority people, because one of the things that the Rajneeshis did and it's tactical, it's not like all about being good people. It was a tactical decision was they imported homeless people from all over the United States <laughs> to come live on their commune and they packaged it as we're doing this nice thing. But even Sheila says the goal was to get more registered voters in the states. So they could help like influence politics in the state of the country. By the way, that is all completely legal. And I can make a very strong argument that it should be legal. Like I said, where you live is where you vote. That is how our democracy works. They made this tactical decision. This is happening in New Hampshire now or did a few years ago with the free staters, like all the people deciding to move here to try to influence government. And it isn't the state's place to say, like, no, we're just like not doing voter registration today because we don't want your kind on our voter rolls. Kevin, that was weird, right? Yeah, I I didn't think that they should have done that. As far as <laughs> like we we suspect there's going to be uh, voter registration fraud, right? And yeah, I was like, yeah, well, you know, they actually can do that. I mean, they actually can, you know, bring people, and if it's kind of bad form, it is very provocative, right? And but there's um, nobody like asking the homeless people on Skid Row in L.A. to register for the voter rolls there, like they're like right, all right. <laughs> Right. I don't know. I think you're far too sympathetic to this this cult. I'm not sympathetic. I, I'm really? interested. Yeah, I'm it's interesting. interested. It's, it's, it's a very interesting story. It is. It, it, it really is. But again, I think we said this before, it's a real surface skim of what was going on that left us with a lot of important contextual right. clues that we just didn't get. Right. I really would like to know a little more about the poisoning of people. Right. How did that how did that get carried out? And the drugging Nobody, of the homeless people who lived on that thing. It was that terrible. Would buy, like that. Yes. I mean it's not supposed to you know, the focus is not like on the crime. It's sort of like on the whole you know, the whole lifespan of this community. But this is the one that kind of suffers from all the narration being just people's interviews right. because you can only put in what people say. Right. And if, if you had, say, for example, a narrator or one of those like cards that you just read, they could take a deeper dive in some of these other side things. And like if nobody's going to yeah. explain how it was financed, then we're never going to know. And we don't. Right. And many people pointed this out on our, our Facebook discussion group who sent in um, comments was that there's no, in this documentary, some documentaries work this way, mm-hmm. but in this documentary, there's no outside voice. There's no right. reporter. There's no, even like the, the screen text, which they used 
liberally in that weird font that I could barely read. There's no like facts popping up to ground you. Just and, locations and and, and, and and give you that perspective. And that does leave you like with where do they get all the money? What do they actually believe in? Were they actually dangerous before their hotel was bombed? Like what were they planning to do with all those guys? Like it was it was confounding, right, Laura? The the opportunity that I think they missed and I was frustrated because I thought we were finally gonna get that context. They have this reporter who, from everything I've seen, did probably the most extensive investigative reporting on this whole situation while it was unfolding. I think he even went to India to find out about. And I'm like, why are you not using this guy to give the background and the context and the information? I mean, there was some, but he's somebody that could have been used as the narrator. He's somebody that could have been used to give more information about kind of the the bigger context here. Because there was... I just felt very scattered a lot of the time watching this, like, wait, what's going on? Right. Yeah, because other than the Rajneeshis or the townspeople or the government, a reporter is a guy who necessarily doesn't have any, uh, you know, any dog Skin in the, the fight. Right, right. I will say yeah. the Oregonian very smartly just republished the 20-part series that uh-huh. that reporter did. I'm just okay. going to quickly tell you what some of these parts are. Uh, part one, how the followers of Bhagwan Rajneesh came to Oregon from India. Part two, how a small-town Indian boy became a religious guru. Part this three, is what I want to know. Before coming to Oregon, the Bhagwan built this thing, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, the real reasons why the Rajneeshis left India for Oregon. Tales of smuggling, gold money, and drugs. What? Um, oh, yeah. Part six, between yeah. India and Oregon, the life-or-death melodrama uh, s- surrounding Bagwan's failing health, uh, Sheila using family ties to purchase the Oregon land. Like, there's a lot of information. This is a 20 part investigation. The Oregonian yeah. has republished it. And, Kevin, I think you should link to this in our show notes today okay. because I have a feeling that every question this documentary left us with is probably answered probably. in this 20 part thing that was done in 1982. Well, this discussion was wow. all over the place. Just like the documentary. Yeah. yeah, just like the documentary, which I was like, I, I, I was like at one point, like Ken's like, what are you, because I'm downstairs, I'm going, wait, what? Oh my God, they're having sex. Wait, what's happening? Like that, some of the, the naked sex scenes, I was just like, whoa, like where did that come from? This isn't the guy in me talking, but there was not enough of that. Toby, did, did you think uh, like I did and like some of our listeners did, there was too much scoring, too much music in this documentary? Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it a ton until my buddy Martin was on Twitter talking about it. And then I couldn't think of anything else. There was, even before he was on, I like paused it at one point and, you know, went to get something to eat. And when I came back, I turned it back on. And one of the things that I I just, I don't understand why they did this is they would play a song that had singing in it. Mm -hmm. And then somebody would be, you know, talking and there'd be singing in the background. With lyrics, yeah. It was like, bizarre and totally distracting. So when I sat down and started listening to it, I'm like, is somebody playing music somewhere? You know, it just is so weird. That wasn't mixed well. The scoring is overwhelming. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that. And then there was a lot of sort of signaling how you're supposed to feel about different things when I I think you could probably draw your own conclusions. Yeah. What do you think about our Australian friend, the documentary, Toby, the woman who is sort of like, um, she was really, really devoted and she's one of our, she, she, she's, she's one of our main narrators and she's giving us a lot of perspective in terms of how she fell into it and how she fell out of it. Like, what do you think of her? I, I think she was good in that she's the only voice you heard very consistently that had been part of the Rajneeshis who wasn't still 
totally still devoted to him. I thought she was good. What I wish they'd had is just some sense of what it was like just to be like a person there who wasn't involved in like the high end decision making or anything like that, but just a person who showed up and did the dancing and did the meditating and the weird you know, sex movies build and stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> my guess is that the vast, vast, vast majority of people are there like doing their Rajneeshi thing. Peace and love. Without any thought about trying to kill people. They're not grinding up beavers in a blender and putting them in the town water supply. <laughs> Nobody was doing that, Rebecca. That was just a rumor. <laughs> Let's yeah. not spread that. I'm not 100% sure Sheila's out because she still had a photo of Bhagwan on the wall on her house in her modern day life after serving a jail sentence after all this. Like It's weird. It's weird, right? The other thing that I... that and this is like a recurring theme with me is people involved in law enforcement, like having weird feelings around people and then like giving that some credence when they think about whether these people are guilty or not. <laughs> <laughs> when the Bhagwan was, was in there and I can't remember, it was one of the U S attorneys said, I talked to the, the woman who was the sketch artist and she said the only time, you know, there was a weird, dark feeling. And he said, the only time I ever felt anything like that was around the Ayatollah Khomeini. It's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? When did you sketch the Ayatollah? <laughs> and there was another one. I can't even, I don't remember the details now where somebody said something similar about Sheila. And I'm like, your intuition is not a good thing to base law on. Right. So anyway. Yeah, well, um, you know what's also not like normal is uh, when I'm dead, uh, covering me with flowers <laughs> and then filming people, setting me on fire. Rebecca, there's going to be a podcast about that. So I weird. Was, that was the, the I, I was like shrieking at that point. I, I, I couldn't even believe I was seeing that for real. There's a lot there. There's a lot there to talk about. Yeah. So um, I feel like we, we have been all over the place. Just like this documentary, Wild Wild Country. <laughs> Let's just do that thing that we do where we go around the horn and tell our listeners thumbs up or thumbs down. Should they watch Wild Wild Country on Netflix? Laura Bricker, high pressure. I'm going to start with you. So here's here's the deal. I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Not because, I mean, the story is very disjointed. I feel like a lot is left out, but I'm going to give it a thumbs up because of all this archival video that they have makes it worth watching. All of the video that they have access to is just amazing. And it's it's probably the most bizarre thing I think we've ever watched for this podcast. It is it's pretty bizarre. Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, I, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I think it's probably helpful to have done, like, maybe read that Oregonian series before you watch it so you have some context. I mean, the footage is incredible. The whole, the story just brings up so many different things, as you can tell by our conversation. There's definitely some stuff about the documentary that's not great, and I don't know why they made those mistakes. But um, I enjoyed it. And obviously, there's a lot to think about with it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, too. I kept waiting for something else to happen. And the idea of everything that happened uh, with these people coming to Oregon and this huge story that I never heard about before that turned into one of the biggest legal cases in American history, apparently. It was interesting and it pulled me through. I thought it was overly long. I thought that the whole thing could have been condensed down to a much shorter period of time. I think the scoring was too much. And I think we could have used a reliable narrator. However... It's an interesting story. 
super interesting uh, protagonist, sort of, that Kevin and I disagree on, whether or not she's a protagonist telling the story. So I'm going to give it a, a, not a thumbs way up, but a thumbs up. If you like cult stuff, uh, you'll probably like Wild Wild Country on Netflix. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Uh, there are some problems with it uh, that it leaves a lot about the situation and about the Rajneeshis left unanswered. I don't think it was even, yeah, it left them unquestioned, actually. I kept, you know, watching, hoping that some of that would get cleared up. Not all of it does, but I couldn't stop watching. Right. I had to get through it. I really liked it. And I think most people will like it, too. It's a thumbs up. If for nothing else is to see, like, all of this video that they found from the 1980s. Right. That sort of is is what the wallpaper is of the entire documentary. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. I stand by it. I still think Sheila's a bit of a feminist hero. I mean, she did try to poison some people. Yes. Yeah. There was that mild issue slash infraction. Just, you know, but who hasn't? Yeah, I what mean. What cult leader has not tried to take out an entire city to further their goals? Yeah, and then we know behind every great cult leader, there's a smart-ass woman doing all the work. No, after, behind every great cult leader is a uh, video team. That's true. Flynn's <laughs> Law. That's right. Capturing all of it. That's right. Well, as usual, this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where I also tell everyone, literally tell everyone, tough titties. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later.
partners in crime media. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at insperity.com.